I get to continue what was begun last week, a new sermon series that we're simply calling Busy Jesus. Busy Jesus, great title, I think, because he was busy. Michael had a wonderful message last week, and he talked about our Lord's priorities, and he said, and maybe the ultimate priority of Jesus on earth was time alone with his Father, right? And I don't know if you remember, those of you who were here, he had you pull out your phone and put five minutes a day for the next seven days that you will just be quiet before the Lord. Listen, pray, talk to him, commune with him. I hope you did it. If you didn't, there's this week, okay? And if you've done it and began to say, you know, there's something very amazing about that. Learning to be quiet and still before the Lord is a phenomenal thing to do. It's really, really important. So what I get to do today is kind of continue that. We're going to be talking, I'm going to just throw out there what we're going to be talking about. Jesus lived with purpose. Jesus had a mission from the Father. Jesus Christ existed before Bethlehem from eternity past. Did you know that? He was God the Son. He's part of the Trinity. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And then he became man. And Jesus literally came to accomplish a very profound, significant purpose. And so what we're going to do this morning as we talk about busy Jesus, Jesus never lost sight of his purpose. And I believe the scriptures teach very clearly that God has given you a purpose. God has given me a purpose. We exist not just to take up space on this planet. We exist to fulfill, fulfill God's purpose in our lives. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants you to glorify him. He wants you to know that purpose. He wants you to fulfill that purpose in your life as long as you're here on earth. And so my hope, my prayer, as I share a number of passages from Scripture, is to maybe clarify that for you, give you some insight into what that purpose could be for you as you begin to really pray and seek him in that our passage this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We'll be in verses 14 to 22 of that. So if you have your Bible, wonderful. That's awesome. We always put the passages up on the screen as well. But let me just say, as we always like to say here, if you do not have a Bible or own a Bible at our connection corner outside there or over in guest services, we would love to hand you a Bible and give that to you as a gift from us, okay? So we're going to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. And as you're finding that, one of the most important things we always need to do when we're going to jump into a passage of Scripture is make sure that we're not taking it out of context, but we really understand what has been going on prior to the passage we look at. And so I want to, uh, to jump into chapter 3 for just a moment. We're going to be looking at verses 21 and 22 of Luke chapter 3. And here's what I want you to know. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, is the baptism of Jesus. Now, the baptism of Jesus Christ was literally the inauguration, the starting point of his earthly ministry. And I want you to see the significant things that are happening as he was being baptized. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. It says here that the Holy Spirit physically came upon him in the form of a dove. Now, there's been misunderstandings over the centuries about exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus did not become a different person at his baptism, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit, one of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, came upon Jesus. And what we can really assume, and I think it's very clear here, is Jesus needed, and part of God's plan is for Jesus, while he was on earth, fully human, but still fully God, he would minister through the power of the Spirit in his life. So the Spirit of God came upon him. Okay, now I want you to look over to uh, Luke chapter 4. And we're, taught, we're told what happened right after the baptism of Jesus. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit again, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, guess what? He was hungry. <laughs> I'll bet. I bet he certainly was. So again, I want us to see full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. If you look at that Greek word led, it's the word compelled or driven is how some other translators translate that word. That was all part of Jesus's preparation, we might say, or at least the first phase of his earthly ministry. So I, what I want to emphasize here is the Holy Spirit. I think that's really important. The Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The people, the, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now, I want to talk a minute and talk about the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting that as you look at churches, and many of us have been in all kinds of churches, I have, is some churches talk about the Holy Spirit often. They talk about the Holy Spirit weekly. Their prayer and so much and even their preaching often really focuses on the power of the Holy Spirit, which I think is wonderful. Other churches barely mention the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? You know, other churches, and I have been familiar with churches like this over the years, it's all about the Word of God. Well, the Word of God is fantastic and wonderful and from God. But you can't separate living out the Christian life, even if you know the word of God well, if the spirit of God, if the Holy Spirit is not energizing and fueling your life, right? That's absolutely the way it works, my friends. That's one of the reasons why we get so incredibly frustrated when we try to live out the high and holy standards of the word of God by our own strength. You can't do it. We feel like failures when we try, amen? We really do. I know I certainly have. And I am so grateful that over the last several years in my own personal walk with Christ, because I love the Word of God and I've studied the Word of God for decades, I have. And yet I have learned this new incredible appreciation for the power of the Spirit in my life. What does the Holy Spirit do? 
uh, a lot of things. <laughs> I mean, let me just throw out a few. The Holy Spirit fills us. Did you know that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life? He indwells you? That is amazing. He indwells us. He fills us. He empowers us. He enlightens us to understand God's truth. He prompts us. He gives us strength, peace. He gives us wisdom. He bears his character fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you ever wondered why you're not all of those things consistently? I'm not. It's because those are to be produced by the Spirit's work in my life, not just me trying to be a nicer person. Okay, again, what I want us to remember, some of us know this, the question is, do we live it? How often do we really call out to the Spirit and say, I need your wisdom? I spent, I shouldn't say this, but I will. I, I liked our worship time. I was talking to the Lord before I came out here because I just know you don't need to listen to me, but if God speaks through me, that's what you need to listen to. And that's the work of the Spirit working through us. Do you know that about the Holy Spirit? Do you know you could talk to him? Do you know that he responds? I, I've gone through seasons of time where I have felt very anxious. I've gone through seasons of time where I have felt very restless or very angry or very impatient. And I just say, help me. You produce patience. I need it. You produce peace. I need it. I need it from you. And so, my friends, I just want us to understand we're not supposed to live the Christian life without the power of the Spirit. And that's why one of the main reasons God gave him to us. And if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit, how much more are we sinners? Amen? That's exactly right. We so desperately need it. So I'm a champion for the Holy Spirit. Not that he needs me to do that. You know, he's God. But I, I really really am. Okay, now, our main passage this morning is chapter 14 of Luke, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 14 to 22, okay? Here's what it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, there it is again, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, and I'm going to put a period right there. I love this phrase in verse 16, as was his custom. Uh, guess what Jesus did on the Sabbath? He went and worshiped in the synagogue. That's what he did every Sabbath. Not twice a month, good enough. Not once a month, not occasionally. Not if there wasn't something else fun to do. It was his custom, it was his practice every Sabbath, every week to be there, and certainly his family as well. I just think that's good practice. Thanks for being here, by the way. I think that's good practice, really good practice. Now, as I was reading some commentaries on this, uh, one of the biblical scholars, um, I thought, wrote some really good thoughts on what happened in a worship service that was in the synagogue. 
is what we read. Usually such a service included hymns, prayers, a reading from the Torah, the law, a reading from the prophets, and a sermon. The reading from the Torah may have been prescribed by a lectionary, which was kind of a schedule of the scripture passages, but the prophetic readings were not set at, that, at this time, so Jesus himself probably chose the passage from Isaiah. Significant. That is significant. Verse 18. So here's what Jesus is. He opened to Isaiah 61. That's the passage, verses 1 and 2. Here's what he began reading. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm going to be making, through, through my message, I'm going to be making three kind of big observations about understanding your life purpose. And so here's, here's my first one that we see in Jesus. He was spirit-empowered. He understood his purpose. We could say his mission, but we're talking purpose this morning. He understood his purpose because, again, as it says here, the Spirit of the Lord was on me. This whole theme of the Holy Spirit and his sensitivity to the Spirit was key in that happening in his life. This just speaks volumes of the importance of the Spirit's power in our lives. So again, I just want to ask you, are you sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me tell you what happens. Maybe this happens to all of us. Um, if, if you learn to pray, Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, prompt me to what you want me to do today. That doesn't mean you can't have a schedule and an agenda. You know, obviously we need to have those things. But what happens when you are sitting somewhere or driving your car, whatever it might be, and somebody just immediately pops into your mind? And it's a person maybe that you know is struggling. Or something pops into your mind related to your kids that you need to do for them or say to them. What do you do with that? You know, I, I've just become convinced in my own life that yes, I have random thoughts, but a whole lot of my thoughts I don't believe are random. But by random, I mean, you know, just our minds race, don't they? But very often, I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And he speaks pretty softly, often. And those promptings are at times a bit subtle even. But if we're sensitive to that, if we know that that's often how he works in our lives, what do we do with that? Do we act upon it? Do we give a phone call? Do we write a note? Do we shoot a text? Preferably not while we're driving, okay, but later on. Do we do that? There's a sense in which, I just believe this because this has happened in my own life, there's a sense in which you've become kind of trained to do that more, and, and, to, and to recognize his voice more clearly when you pray that way, when you live that way. I so believe we see that in our Lord so clearly. You know, there's a, um, there's a verse, a lot of, I hear a lot of people quote, it's a great verse, by the way, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let me ask of God who gives to all people generously, and it will be given to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask from God. I will never forget, I, I came to know Christ my freshman year of college. And I can remember a year or two later, I was hanging out with a bunch of my 
college Christian friends. And it was the night before finals week. Finals were starting the next day. And one of my buddies goes, hey, I'm not studying. I don't need to study. I'm like, what do you mean you don't need to study? He said, I read the coolest verse that I have the mind of Christ. And it's like, this is awesome because Jesus knows everything. So all I need to do when I go into my test is pray, God, give me, give me uh, all this knowledge that I need and I'll ace the test. And I said, dude, I don't think that's what the verse means. And I've come to realize it is absolutely not the verse, what the verse means. It's not if anyone asks wisdom, say, God, make me smarter. God, raise my IQ 10 points. That's not the point of the verse. The point is, Lord, you open my eyes. You illumine in me. You uh, give me wisdom and knowledge of how to deal with this situation and what to know to do. If anyone lasts wisdom, ask the Lord. He will give you wisdom. Do you do that? Do you do that? I just want to encourage you so much to do that. Do that. Here's a way I often pray when it comes to wisdom. Wisdom, Lord, guide me. Lord, direct me. Help me to see what I am able to, what I am not able to see, without you opening my eyes to it. I'm learning to pray more and more that way, and it's amazing. I think the Lord delights in giving us His wisdom and opening our eyes to things that really matter. Okay, let me go back to verse 18 because I want to read 18 and 19, which is what Jesus read from the passage. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim wisdom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He has set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So my first observation was, that Jesus was spirit-empowered. I think that was pretty obvious, as I've shared. But there's a second observation I wanted to share with you as well here as I read this, and that is in Jesus' purpose in life, his mission, he was people-focused, okay? He was people-focused. I want you to see with me these four categories he points out. And his, his goal was to proclaim the good news to them, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to these people. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. We could say the needy, the broken, the despised, the desperate. I thought it was so good as I, again, doing some reading, I thought it was so good that, that one person I, I read said, these four categories are not just physical or societal positions. They are also our spiritual condition. We are poor, right? We are poor in spirit. We are prisoners. We are prisoners of our own sin nature, right? We are blind, Someone even wrote a song about that. I once was lost and now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. Isn't that what Jesus does? He opens our spiritual eyes and we're oppressed. Yeah. We live life in a spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare goes on. Our enemy wants to deceive and blind us. He wants to oppress us. 
So the good news, Jesus came to proclaim the good news. The good news is for all of us. That's the point. I love the fact that Jesus' purpose was completely focused on people. I love that. Because often, you know, when, whether it's asking a six-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up, or asking a uh, senior at Grace College, I'm sure we have some, aren't you just so, don't you just love it when everybody says, do you know exactly what you're doing the day after you graduate? Oh, that's the best question. I had this wonderful talk with my grandson who was a sophomore in high school, who my daughter said he is so stressed out because in school, all they do is say, what are you going to major in? What college are you going to go to be? And he's like, oh, he's kind of freaking out. I said, I had the best talk with him. As we drove to get donuts on a Saturday morning, there you go, something good about donuts there too. And I just said, the Lord will lead you. And I'm going to pray very much for you that you would be open to what God wants you to do. You see, the best question isn't what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what do you think Jesus wants you to be as you live out your life for him? That's a much better question. That's the question we need to be asking our children and our college students and our young adults because it's all about his plan and his purpose. But here's what I see about Jesus's earthly life. His focus was people. His focus wasn't power. His focus wasn't esteem. His focus wasn't wealth. It was people and especially hurting, broken people. And I just have to believe, I just believe this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, doesn't he want us to have that heart too? Whatever you do, whatever your vocation, that's really not the question. The question is, do you see yourself as somebody who can bless and encourage and love people. Actually, that should start in your own family. We'll start there for sure. But does that spread out? Jesus' mission, his purpose was people-focused. And in his case, the needy, the broken, the hurting. I think that informs us in a very, very good way, an important way. Okay, I'm going to pick up in verse 20. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this... Joseph's son? Remember, this was in Nazareth where he grew up. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. I love this phrase. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus could have just said, I am the Messiah. <laughs> That's what he's saying when he said this. So let me give you my third observation, and that is that Jesus' purpose was fully embraced. He fully embraced it. He understood his role. He understood his mission. He understood his purpose, and he embraced it. 
Now, let me tell you something I've observed over many, many years, some in my own life and in the lives of many, many people who sincerely want to do what Jesus has called them to do with their lives. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes what God calls his children to do does not follow a smart career path or a wise financial path. (laughs) It doesn't. And sometimes, sadly, when you just are convinced that, that God has called you to, God is directing you to, that your purpose is this, sometimes you get opposition from people who love you who say, that's ridiculous, that's foolish. What? And, um, and it can be really tough. So what I want you to hear me say today, because I believe this, I've seen it, I've experienced some of it, is that when you feel clearly God directing you in a certain way, everybody may not agree with you. <laughs> they just might not. Because the heart of our Lord and the mission that maybe he has called you to is not what the world always applauds or views as successful. It's just the way it works. Jesus was all in. Do you know what the the culmination of our Lord's earthly mission was? Crucifixion on a cross. And thankfully, resurrection from a grave. But crucifixion on a cross. So God's purpose for us may have incredibly difficult, challenging seasons. That's what I want you to hear. It's very true. Now, this whole theme of our Lord's purpose and how he even spoke to that or how the scriptures help us understand that that he had a purpose, he had a mission, he had something that he was to accomplish on earth is found in other places in the Gospels. Let me give you a, a couple of those real quickly. One is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10. The words of Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Wow, don't you wish your purpose statement was that succinct and concise and clear? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's my purpose. I love Luke 9, 51. Luke writes, as the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, that's a reference to the the crucifixion, the resurrection, his ascension back up to heaven. Jesus resolutely, great word, I love this word, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He didn't hesitate. Uh, two other versions, ESV says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. New American Standard says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And so I want you to hear with Jesus as our, our role model and our example of, of fulfilling his purpose and his mission in life is sometimes it's really hard. Some aspects of it can be very challenging and very difficult John chapter 17, verse 4, this is the night that our Lord had just had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be uh, 
betrayed by Judas, arrested, the next day crucified. Here's what Jesus said in his prayer to the Father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I love that. What a model to us. One, another awesome verse, this is actually in one of the letters, the epistles of Paul, Ephesians 2.10. Many of us know this verse, amazing verse. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does that sound like your purpose, your mission, your plan? Which God prepared for you to do. Okay, I want to get super practical in my last five or six or seven, whatever minutes, and answer a question this morning. Because we've been looking at our Lord's life, earthly life. We've been looking at his example. We've been looking at some of these uh, observations about him. How does that speak into our lives? I think that's a really, really important question. So here's my question. How do we discern and know our God-given purpose? I have five what I'm calling guiding principles. Not exhaustive but just things that I have observed, lived out, tried to live out in my own life that maybe will be helpful to you. Here's one guiding principle. Knowing our purpose is a journey since the Holy Spirit is continually involved. It's a journey. So you mean when I turn 18, God doesn't just like give me a message from heaven that says this is what you're gonna do for the rest of your life? No. How about 21? No. How about 30? No, let's not go there, okay? It does not work that way. The point is that the Christian life is a journey. And here's what has been my experience and the experience of many, 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 many people I know. As you walk closely with him, as you are sensitive and in tune with the spirit of God's leading, prompting, guiding in your life, he will direct you. He will reveal to you. And please, please, please remember that he may reveal to you part of your purpose, part of your journey, and it's hard. It is so non-biblical, unbiblical when people say, well, what is God's will for my life? What's well, something that I love, that I'm passionate about, and I like make a lot of money. Really? <laughs> Where do you see that in scripture? No often walking in step with his purpose for you has hard seasons to it, for sure. It does. Okay, that's my number one. Number two, our purpose will always be consistent with God's word. There you go. Don't say, God, I'm toying with the idea that you want me to be a drug dealer. Is that, is that okay? No, 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 no. It's not consistent with the word of God. How about, God, I just want to be like the most successful, powerful person who's ever lived on this earth. You good with that? Because I want some glory. He's like, no. We live to glorify him. Whatever your God-given purpose is will be in tune, in line, and lined up consistently with God's word, okay? That's super important. And to me, that's very, very clarifying when I think about this. Number three, our passion and our purpose are not synonymous, though they may be complementary. What do I mean by that? Oh, man, you hear it. You hear when kids are like five or three. 
Just follow your passion. Follow your passion. Follow whatever excites you. Follow what, do whatever you just love. Don't we hear that a lot? That is such the message of the world. Well, (laughs) is that what God wants you to do? I mean, you might be passionate about something that makes you a whole bunch of money. And you can't handle it. Or you might be doing something that causes you to, you know, get a whole lot of power and you abuse it. My point is that start with your purpose and sometimes God gives you a passion for your purpose. That's how it seems to work. Start with God, what have you called me to do and be? And thank you, Lord, when you give me joy as I do that. Thank you. He doesn't always give you joy, too. But he begins to, I think it's a transformational process that he does in us so that we can begin to be passionate, very much so, about our purpose. Number four, our purpose will often be consistent with our gifts and our abilities. And notice I said often, not always. It makes sense, it makes sense, I think, that when God calls you to a specific purpose in your life, that he will at some level equip you to be effective at that. Does that make sense? I think that I think that's, makes a lot of sense, and I think that's often very true. I think God often wants to take the gifts and abilities and skills and all those things that he has equipped us with to be able to fulfill his purpose for our lives. And there is great joy. There is great joy in that, when that lines up. And then here's my last one. The wise counsel of others is very valuable in clarifying our purpose. And if you think you have blind spots in your life about yourself, (laughs) oh my goodness. That's why it's great to have people in your life who love you enough to shoot straight with you about, you know, you're you're not doing it right, you're not, uh, you're like super rude, you know, whatever they may say to you, those people in your life who love you. You are so self-consumed. You know, I think there's a tendency for us to think, we just have to be nice to everybody, especially people we love, um, and we do have to be nice, and we need to love them. I will say this, this is very true about me, probably five or six times in my life as a Christian, I've had people who have loved me so much, a couple times it was with tears in their eyes, they rebuked me. They confronted me. They said, you're not seeing what is true about yourself. And probably every single one of those times, it's been life-changing for me. And I mean that. It has not been fun, and boy, can I get defensive <laughs> and not initially often handle that well. But often that's the Holy Spirit's voice speaking truth that I desperately need. Wise counsel is not always people who are brilliant. Wise counsel is typically people who love you dearly want what's best for you, and will shoot straight. The Bible calls that iron sharpening iron. You have some of those people in your life? When it comes out of love for you, 
It is so beautiful. I'll tell you what, pray that the Lord will help you be less defensive. That's a, that's a good prayer because most of us just, boom, the wall goes up and we want to attack back, right? But so often I've seen God will use that to speak wonderful truth that we don't see. We are the least objective person about ourselves. <laughs> we just are. Okay, I need to wrap. Yes, I do. So um, I want to talk about, as I wrap up here, I want to talk as I close about Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, because this whole idea of Jesus had a purpose and a mission for his life, we see this so clearly in Paul. And I think we see it in other biblical characters as well. I think it's God's pattern. The con conversion of Saul of Tarsus to becoming the zeal a zealous follower of Jesus Christ is recorded in Acts 9. We're not going to turn there. We don't need to. Along with Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, becoming a new creature in Christ, he also was given his calling, his life purpose, within a day or two after he was radically saved. Remember, he was blinded, knocked off his horse. Jesus spoke to him. That's what happened. We read in Acts chapter 9 that the Lord gave Ananias, a godly man, the words to tell Paul about his purpose. And here's what it says, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Did you see that? Paul got his marching orders, his purpose within days after he came to know Christ. <clears throat> now, if you fast forward three decades later, because Paul wrote all these letters to these churches and the book of Acts really follows Paul's life and ministry for much of the book of Acts. 30 years later, Paul writes his final letter, the book of 2 Timothy. And here's what the, the apostle Paul writes in verses, chapter four, verses seven and eight. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And when I read that phrase, I have finished the race. I have fulfilled my purpose. That's what I hear him say. I have completed the mission that you've called me to. And I want that for you. And I want that for me. And I want that for all people who know and love Jesus Christ. But my friends, that won't happen if we just kind of live randomly. It won't. So I want to encourage you, maybe in that five-minute slot of prayer time that Michael uh, encouraged us to do last week, that maybe you could just start asking the Lord, Lord, would you clarify to me what you've called me in terms of my purpose to be, to do? Help me to be sensitive as you lead me day by day on this journey, this walk with you. Help me to be so open and receptive 
to what you might be saying through your word, through other people in my life who care about me and know me and love me. Help me to not be dismissive or defensive as it feels like and it seems like you are calling me to something or leading me to something that is clarifying your purpose for my life. Because Lord, when I see you face to face, I do want to hear you say to me, well done. Well done. You pursued your purpose. Well done. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that uh, he left the glories of heaven from eternity past God the Son to become a man, to live on this sinful earth, to die on the cross for us. Thank you that he embraced his purpose, his mission. Thank you for the example of his incredible love for us to endure excruciating pain and hardship. And yet he did it for us. And Father, I believe your scriptures, your word teaches that you haven't just saved us to leave us on our own. You have forgiven us. You have made us your children. You have indwelled us with your spirit so that we can live out your purpose, your calling, your mission for our lives too. Thank you that that's not just for a handful, that's for all of us. You know us so intimately. You say, I know even the number of hairs on your head. I knew you when you were formed in your mother's womb. You you know us, and therefore your plan, your purpose for us is something that you desire for us, not just to know, but to live out. We believe that. So, Father, I pray for this church family, for my brothers and sisters, that that would become a real passion of ours to want to just walk in step and have great clarity on what your purpose is for us. Lord, help us to listen to wise counsel and help us not to listen so much to the world. We love you, Lord Jesus. And above all else, we want to glorify you through our lives. Please, please reveal to us what that looks like each and every day. In your name we pray, amen.